This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Marvell takes Thunder X3 off the commodity shelf. Catalog brings its DNA to HPC. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, joined again by HPC Wire Managing Editor Tiffany Trader. Tiffany, This Week in HPC, our top story has to do with Marvell, which has been one of the most noteworthy providers of ARM processors for the high-performance computing space, and they just announced that their um, heralded Thunder X3 ARM processor, which we were waiting for in HPC, will not be a commodity part that you can just buy, but is going to be a custom or maybe more appropriately termed semi-custom offering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really interesting. So, you know, back five, 10 years ago, we saw a number of false starts and stops uh, for ARM. And now that it's finally seeing this momentum in the marketplace, I think it's interesting timing that Marvell is is changing and pivoting its tactic to to do this semi-custom chip and uh, be, to be courting the, the hyperscalers uh, with this um, semi-custom Thunder X3 chip. Uh, I think this speaks to um, or has a parallel to the move by or interest from NVIDIA that we've we've heard about with their interest to acquire ARM and we, we spoke about on one of the last podcasts because increasingly the the hyperscalers you know they they won't be buying a chip or even a a made uh, developed arm chip they will be rolling their own or at least customizing their own and as, as you've pointed out a number of times, you know, these these tech companies are all clamoring for the business of of a number of companies that you can essentially count on two hands. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I appreciate you bringing up uh, the uh, hyperscale market because I do think that does motivate a lot of the moves going on among all of uh, semiconductors or processor markets right now. It's just, uh, that's the whale hunting that's going on right now. You can uh, get one customer and, and make a market. Now this is in some sense a disappointment for HPC, which has been making a lot of headway around ARM. And we've done some surveys around that where we're delivering data to our clients now on user ratings of vendors in four different categories, processors, server storage and cloud and on the processor side um about uh about 33 about 33 percent of respondents have positive technical impressions of the marvell thunder x line only just behind where it is with the uh, fujitsu a64 fx which is the other noteworthy arm processor we surveyed that was getting 40 percent and if we look at the op those are technical or performance impressions if we look at operational impressions around things like manageability and ease of use and programming then it flips around the other way and uh, the marvell thunder x line is a little bit ahead of the uh, fujitsu a64 fx and in terms of uh, future outlook we see about a third of the market that was looking at a likelihood of a, of adopting an ARM processor going forward. And I think this move uh, will, will throw a little more weight behind those Fujitsu A64 FX processors, not only from Fujitsu, but also from HPE Cray as part of those lines. 
Yeah, I, w I would have to agree with you that this is, is probably something somewhat of a loss for HBC. A competition is, is good, including competition in the, the still fairly nascent ARM server space, server chip space. Uh, I think that it was it was probably the right move for, for Marvell because of the, the reasons we, we discussed. Um, time time will tell. Uh, I do think it's 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 a good it's a probably Fujitsu and uh, HPE as well are are uh, probably you know, thinking this is, is good news. They, of course, both are selling servers with the Fujitsu RMA64FX server chip right now. Uh, HP supports that in their Apollo 80 platform. And, you know, between the two uh, companies, I think they've disclosed what more, you know, 10 plus, 10, 15 uh, disclosed customers for that for that chip. And, you know, also the, uh, and I'm maybe this factored, I, I think the A64FX is, is more advanced. Well, I would say it is more advanced in terms of its instruction set than the Thunder X2 and and than the the Thunder X T Thunder X3 as well. Um, the uh, the A64FX does not have PCI4 yet. I am I'm I'm definitely. It's made me think about how I'm interested to see what Fujitsu is going to do next. Uh, you know, at post um, post after that chip. You know, they've put J Japan Fujitsu has put a lot of investment into into that so-called Fugaku chip. So I'm I'm uh, I'm interested to see what they do for a follow-on there. Yeah. Now, what we've talked about is that the processor competition goes a lot more beyond these technical aspects, though, and where Marvell was ahead of the Fujitsu uh, A64FX ecosystem is in at least the perception of the ecosystem surrounding those processors. Marvell had a little more of a head start, but this is a, a space that evolves very quickly. You made a you quickly made a point earlier that I'll amplify that I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't in some way related to the rumors we reported on previously about NVIDIA potentially being interested in the acquisition of ARM holdings. We can infer that there's at least a possibility that NVIDIA might have approached Marvell with some sort of offer at some point. And if Marvell has a sense that NVIDIA wants to get into this space, then this move could be related to it either uh, in a move to sell toward NVIDIA or in order to uh, build a moat around their business for the hyperscale space and try to be more competitive against NVIDIA. So it's hard to say whether it's friend or foe, but in in either case, I wouldn't be surprised if it weren't related. Yeah, and, and that all points to this this growing specialization that we're seeing in the marketplaces, as I was referencing earlier, with uh, these hyperscalers, you know, wanting to to customize their own their own chips, you've got Amazon Web Services building their own ARM-based Graviton line, the Graviton, the Graviton Two. You've got Google, of course, with its TPU, and then Azure has the uh, the GraphCore IPU. So we're just more and more examples of, of of this kind of stuff. And you know, when we look at ARM, just as a reminder, at the the high end. There are still only four ARM systems on the uh, the top 500. We have uh, Rikens, Fugaku, of course, is number one. Uh, the Fugaku prototype came in, I think, the, the list before. That's at 205. Uh, there is a Fujitsu Prime HPC system on the list, too, now. That's uh, the system Flow. I think we talked about that on a podcast. That's at Japan's Nagoya University up in 37. And then, of course, the very first ARM system kind of coming full circle here was the Marvell Cavium Thunder X2 installation with HPE at Sandia. Um, recognizes the world's first pet pet scale system in 2018. And, uh, you know, that's still on there at uh, 245. 
Yeah, and I think that's an excellent point because what it really underlines is Marvell has to make the evaluation of how much effort do you want to put into developing an ecosystem that hasn't yet uh, arrived, uh, that we don't really have a strong market as of yet for these ARM systems. It's mostly being discussed as a future market for high-performance computing, and, and there's a lot of work involved. The other thing that that uh, comes about is it's obviously changing very fast. It's it's only within the last six months I stopped calling them cavium. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and and now uh, we're not going to really be watching uh, Thunder X3 much in this market. And I mean, it's still possible. It becomes a semi-custom chip. You could orchestrate a, a Thunder X3 chip for the high-performance computing space, but you're going to be competing against off-the-shelf ARM processors that are already integrated to other HPC systems. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we saw them come in uh, world's first Petascale ARM system, and now they're they're leaving. You know, they're leaving that that part of the market. But but that's that's the way it happens sometimes in HPC. Also, this week in HPC, we have an interesting company in the news called Catalog that does DNA computing. Now, DNA computing is a concept I've heard probably going back to 15 or 20 years ago. The idea that we can manipulate synthetic, synthetic DNA. We're not taking DNA out of people's bodies or animals or plants or anything. We're taking synthetic DNA and we can use the properties of DNA to encode or store data and potentially bring that to computing. So this has been around as an experimental idea for a long time, but it's hitting our news this week in HPC because a company called Catalog is making a big splash with its DNA computing, and we're seeing a familiar face from the supercomputing landscape with Dave Turek, previously from IBM Supercomputing Group, showing up as the CTO at Catalog. Yeah, that's right. So Dave, Dave Turek, we've known for a long time. He's uh, exiting. He exited IBM and he has joined uh, Catalog as their CTO, where he's responsible for the the company's technical strategy, business development, and uh, and collaborations. This is the the, the Boston-based startup um, founded in 2016. This week, they 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 said that they uh, they they publicly announced that they've secured 10 million dollars in in funding, which brings their their total funding to 22 million, and of course, brought on um, this uh, seasoned HPC strategist in in Turek, and um, he comes he comes there after two decades at IBM, where he was known for. Uh, big notable projects such as Blue, Blue Gene, and he he spearheaded that, and Roadrunner, the the first petascale system, as well as the of course the pre exascale systems, uh, Coral Systems Summit, and Sierra. So we 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 spoke with him, um, had a really interesting conversation about all of this uh, the fascinating technology with with the DNA um, storage, as well as the the potential to to actually compute in silicon. I mean in in chemistry instead of in in, in silicon, um, which is just kind of you know mind blowing to, to when you realize all of the the things that that could put, could potentially enable. It's it's really cool. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a a chemist, but um, if it's if it's real, if this could really happen, um, it's really it would be really paradigm changing. And you know, I don't I don't want to use a use a cliche there, but it, it really it really would be. 
what really interests me here is the confluence of, of other trends like 3D printing. Now, this isn't exactly 3D printing, but reading the article that you have on HPC Wire in the interview with Dave Turek, they're talking about something that's very like an inkjet printer printing onto something that's basically a chemical substrate. This is the same fundamental concept of additive or 3D printing that we've talked about that's also we're seeing similar things coming into other areas of computing and the big and we're talking about computing here the big first market it seems that they're able to target is data storage and potentially cold or long term high volume data storage some of the some of the numbers that they have in this article here that catalog released are are eye popping talking about being able to store an exabyte of data in the space of a sugar cube and that becomes portable data in some fashion or or that they could take all of the data currently in existence and we can hear about everything about the tsunami of data and how many whatever bytes of data it is right now and they can take all of the world's data and fit it into a space the size of a coat closet I can't even fit all of my coats into my coat closet let alone all the world's data so it, it sounds theoretically at least impressive yeah, it, it, it does. It really does. Um, so they've invented this DNA encoding scheme, and then they've co-developed the the, ink, the machine that uses the inkjet technology to print DNA that re to reflect that encoding scheme. And the machine, it turns the binary data into synthetic DNA strips that can be read by just a, a, one of the you know many commercial sequencers that we have now. So it reads and writes. And um, but then there's 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 also this computing aspect to it that is the the real brain teaser involved here, um, the, the printer produces sheets of DNA that can essentially be put into a solution, uh, a DNA soup, and then that DNA can, can be operated, the, uh, the data can be operated on um, for particular bits or, or strings of data. And, um, you know, that this brings up different applications like security and cryptography and branching and search and and search is the one one of the ones that i discussed with with dave turek uh and as you just said so the company says that the the dna storage technology makes it possible to fit all of the world's data into the space of a coat closet and i i know i i might have like 100 items of clothing in my closet and i can't find the one i'm looking for so how do you find you know if you have a coat closet worth of data how do you find you know what you're what you're looking for and this is i mean this is the really mind blowing part of it if if this can be done but they they told me that no matter the size of the data set that you're looking for the the data that you want can be found in this in the same amount of time it's it's just almost infinitely parallel um and the the reason is that the chemistry that's run against a trillion molecules is the same chemistry that would be run against uh, one molecule. So there, there's this there's this DNA solution, and they add enzymes and and um, reagents, and uh, they there's some pattern matching involved, and then it, it's uh, sort of uh, able. And again, there's deep deep chemistry involved here, but um, it's able to surface you know surface the the the, the item that that it was uh, look you were looking for, and you know this this could set the stage for applications obviously in search but also inference and and uh, digital signal processing and cryptography as well 
in a science is cool kind of way, this is maybe the demo I've gotten most excited to potentially see at some point. Like, show me this actually working. I'm interested in seeing what this looks like. And you've got a picture of the uh, DNA writer that they've codenamed Shannon at Catalog uh, as part of your article on HPC Wire with, with a couple of interesting uh, uh, data sheet points they can right at 10 megabits per second, generating over a trillion identifiers in a single run, can store 1.63 terabits of compressed data in a single run. But before we get too excited, I mean, this is still kind of out there technology. This is a story for people who are listening to our podcast who are disappointed that quantum has become so mainstream these days <laughs> that, you know, oh, anyone can do quantum computing. That's gotten boring. This is now we're going to move from from quantum to DNA computing is the next frontier. Right. So that's a good reminder, a good good caveat to uh, to, cons to, to consider. Um, there, you were mentioning some of the speeds, and they did say that right now they're, the, the technology is capable of megabits per second write speeds, and then they indicated that it would be on track, that they, they felt comfortable about getting to gigabyte per second uh, speeds on the right side, at which point they would turn to switch their focus over to optimizing the read speeds, which, which of course, um, most of the, uh, the work um, has been done on, on the read speeds, right? Because nature, nature so far has, has pretty much taken care of the, the write speeds for us, but they, they do hope to achieve parity for the, the read and write speeds. And, um, you know, I think that the the DNA storage is actually the less I mean is the less aspirational part of this. It's the computing stuff that's it's it's uh, more aspirational and, and further out there. But on the uh, the storage side, they have a they have a proof of concept uh, for for that approach that they they recently encoded all of the English text of Wikipedia into DNA. Um, so that was 16 gigabytes of data, and they said that that is. Uh, more information that had had been previously captured by other other DNA storage projects because there are you know there are other other projects out there but they said that some of their differentiators are the unique proprietary encoding scheme that they have and then this this inkjet printer that that you can see a photo of in the in the article. Uh, one final note from me on this story. I think if if the press release had just come out, I, I might have noticed it. I might have thought, hmm, that's interesting. But what's really making me analyze it as a supercomputing analyst is the announcement that Dave Turek has joined as CTO. I think if he's evaluated it and he's throwing in behind it, that gives it enormous credibility in my book. Right. And we and we spoke about some of these HPC type optimization problems and machine learning optimization problems. And he also said that they have interest from uh, the usual play, you know, who you'd expect government agencies and a number of Fortune 500 companies and, and media, entertainment, banking and finance, oil and gas. And, and some of those are, are HPC players and some of them are, are non-HPC players. Uh, but definitely HPC is in the mix. Our listeners can read more about both of these stories on HPC Wire, including our Marvell story, which was written up by new HPC Wire editor Todd Weiss. Todd, welcome to HPC Wire. Hope we get you on the podcast soon. Thanks, Tiffany, for joining me this week in HPC, and thanks to you for listening in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.